Welcome back to Home Church Sunday Morning Bible Study Series here at Mount Mount Baptist Church, walking through the book of Joshua. And so today we're going to look at Joshua chapter 7 and 8, and we're going to kind of walk through the highlights of the passage and see what it is that we can glean from this, an understanding of who God calls us to be um, as His people. So I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You would give us insight, that You would give us soft hearts to hear what you would say to us and that we would understand um, the call that you place on our lives to walk in humble dependence and obedience to you um, and that we would understand that you are a holy God and that sin is serious before you and that our desire would be to live holy and faithful lives um, for you and for your glory in this world. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, um, Joshua chapter 6, and we saw the fall of Jericho. And so when you get to the end of chapter 6, there's this kind of celebratory note um, that you would be feeling as you're reading through the passage. When you get to chapter 7, everything goes downhill really quickly. And the heading of my Bible, and perhaps your Bible too, is Israel is defeated at Ai. So we're coming off the, the fall of Jericho and this military success and right when we get into chapter 7, we notice that things are not good. So listen to what we read in Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So what we see here is, after the fall of Jericho, there was all these things that the, the people of God um, took as spoil from their victory in Jericho. And it's clear back in chapter 6 that these things were supposed to be dedicated to the treasury of the Lord. Verse 24 in chapter 6. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So what we're going to find is that there's a person, his name is Achan, who's part of the people of Israel who did not follow that stipulation to put these things in the temple, in the treasury, the house of the Lord. And because these things that were supposed to be devoted were taken into his house, the Lord is going to show the sin and how this sin in the camp or sin in their midst has this huge negative impact on all of God's people and he's really continuing to press into them the importance of them listening to his word and walking in faithful obedience to him and seeing sin for how serious it is and not assuming that just because they're God's people, they can live however they want to and, and rely on their own strength and wisdom to meet the challenges ahead. Now, the city of Ai would have been much smaller, we think, than, than Jericho. And so it would have maybe seemed like an easier military victory was going to be before them. But because of this sin is in the midst of the people, the Lord's going to give them into the hand of their enemies. And so listen to what happens in verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up to attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. 
and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So do you hear that note of self-sufficiency? They think, Joshua, we don't need everybody. Just send up a small contingent. We'll take care of this. It won't be any problem. And so Joshua does, and the people are routed. Um, and some of them are killed, and others flee. And so when the people hear of this defeat, um, the author of the book of Joshua there at the end says, And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now listen to how Joshua responds to the news of this defeat and also what he sees happening in the hearts of the people. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought up the people over the Jordan at all? to give them into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Now, we, this complaint of Joshua, we can't help but hear this in Israel's past. The idea that when the people of God came out of Egypt and God did these miraculous, mighty things to lead them out. And then they got over there and they were complaining and they made this idea that, Lord, why didn't you just let us die back in Egypt? And, and they totally overlooked all the challenges they faced at the first sign of, of, of hardship, at the first sign of struggle. They're ready to go back to where they were and totally miss out on the condition they were in before God delivered them from the Exodus I totally miss out on the miraculous things that God had done on their behalf to lead them to this point. And they're like, Lord, why didn't we just go back? And Joshua fits into that same mode of complaint. He says, Lord, why didn't you just leave us on the other side of the Jordan? Why, why come over here? Why be engaged if we're not going to be successful? So rather than Joshua looking inward and trying to figure out why in the world this happened and what it was that the people did not do appropriately, Joshua's whole focus is on how God has failed them. Um, and listen to how the Lord responds to Joshua in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them, and they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Now that consequence that God puts before his people, that I will be with you no more, really is one of the most um, tragic consequences, one of the most stiff punishments that God could ever threaten to put on his people. That, that what separates us, what separated them, was God's presence among them, not their own strength, not their own ability. If you read the story of the Old Testament up to this point, you know that God is not pleased to work among the Israelites because they're powerful or um, this large nation or because they have what it takes. But God's always being faithful to His covenant promises and He's reminding the people that what makes them unique is His presence among them and He is the one who makes all these things possible for them. So if they're not going to walk in faithfulness to him, there is this, this warning that he'll remove his presence. And Joshua and anybody else who's been paying attention to this point knows that that is the, the worst option 
that God could put before the people. So the reason that they've fallen to the people of eyes, not because God has, in a sense, turned his back on them, or it's not because God's failed or his purposes have changed, it's that they were not willing to be faithful to the commitments that they had made. The problem wasn't with God. The problem was with the people. So the Lord tells Joshua, deal with the sin that's among you unless you want to be destroyed um, ultimately. And so, so we'll see that, that Joshua, if you read through the passage, we'll see that Joshua agrees with the Lord to, to pursue um, finding the sin among the people and delivering the consequences for the sin that, um, that he finds. So skip forward to verse 16 in, in chapter 7. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zarahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zarahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered, verse 20, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. So Achan says, when, when I saw these things among the spoil, rather than faithfully sticking to the plan and, and, and giving it over, um, to the treasury of the house of Israel. I saw them and I took them. And, and really you can't help, I think, but hear language that harkens back to the Garden of Eden, even in this, this idea of the Lord putting before the people very clear stipulations of how they're supposed to respond in faithfulness. And you picture back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's an idea of everything else is yours, but not this trusting in God's character to provide for them. And what did they do? They, they didn't faithfully walk in obedience to God, so they took it and they ate it, and everything um, was negatively impacted by that decision. The sin that Achan committed is, is similar in that rather than staying faithful to the, the promises or the plan that God had laid out, he saw it and he took it and he coveted it. And so it's this warning for each of us that it'd be easy for us to look at Achan and say, man, he missed it so badly. But really, each of us is, is called to then look in our own hearts and those places where we are tempted to know clearly what it is that God calls us to do, who it is that he calls us to be. And rather than pursue faithfulness and rather than trust that God will provide for us and we don't have to provide for ourselves and take matters into our own hands through sinful measures. That there is that part in all of us, if we're not careful, that, that we wonder, will God provide? And we wonder, is the path of faithfulness going to lead to ultimate fulfillment? And so much of the sin in our lives happens because of our lack of faith and trust that God's going to provide for us. Um, another thing that I see in Achan is that sometimes we think that our sin goes unnoticed. But it's this great reminder, and we can look at lives of saints all throughout the Scripture that um, I think about David in particular, where he tried to cover up the sin that he had committed, and he thought he had everything taken care of and all the loose ends tied up. 
And Nathan the prophet comes and says, the Lord has seen and he knows and you're the man. So that in each of our hearts, there, there is maybe sins that we commit that we can get by other people. There are things that everybody wouldn't know about us. But, but it's this important thing that we walk away from, this principle that God knows. And what he's looking for us is to come to him in confession and repentance, trusting that there is forgiveness to be found in Christ. Now, Achan and his whole family meet a terrible end because of the sin that they've committed. And it's, it's offensive almost to our modern ears and sensibilities, the harshness of the punishments that's handed out. But, but his whole family um, and all that he had are brought up to the valley and, and, they're, and they're killed. And they're rocks placed over their, their bodies. And one of the things that I want us to think about as we walk away from this, rather than us trying to think through um, was the punishment fitting or, or what I want us to think about is the seriousness with which God approaches sin. And oftentimes we are tempted to act as if sin is not a big deal, um, to try to explain it away. But, but even when you get into the New Testament, you hear Jesus teaching on the seriousness of sin and, and that hyperbole, yes, that he uses about if something causes you to sin and, you know, cut your hand off or gouge out your eye. But the idea there still is that sin is serious and that we are called to see it for what it is and to respond in faithfulness and to repent and to know that apart from Christ, we too are deserving of the same type of severe punishment. So rather than trying to, to fully understand all the implications of this, the, the important thing I think is to remember that sin is serious. It was serious in Joshua's day. It's serious in our day. And any rationalizing of those things that we want to do in our own hearts, individuals or as a group of people, we need to know that, that God still takes those things very serious. And in the New Testament, calling our lives to be holy and set apart, just like it was um, in, in the Old Testament. So while we may not have the same fate that Achan had um, on this side of the cross, and while we may not get that same kind of punishment, sin is still serious. And we should see it as that in God's holy calling upon our lives. So in chapter 8, what happens is now that the sin's been dealt with, Israel experiences a military victory over Ai. And you can read the whole chapter and see how it came about and the, and the strategy that was employed and, and how they did it. But the point, I think, of chapter 8 is, is to say, okay, now that sin's been dealt with and we're walking in faithfulness and covenant um, obedience to the Lord, now the Lord's pleased to be with you and continue to be at work among you in a really powerful way, illustrating the importance that if God's not at work among the people, then they don't have any hope apart from Him. And that God really is serious about them walking in faithfulness to the covenant. So that at the end of chapter 8, we have this, this covenant renewal ceremony. So listen to what we read there. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no, hum no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, all sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, 
stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and women and little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This covenant renewal, God is continually bringing the covenant and the obligations to walk in obedience, the blessings that will come from obedience, the curses that will come from disobedience, so that they know that God wants them to walk in dependence upon them, to walk in obedience to His will, and that that's going to be central to their understanding of who they are as God's people and walking in faithfulness. Um, recently, I've been reminded that ultimately Jesus is the one who does this perfectly on our behalf. That all of us know that we fall short of God's standards for us. And so He came to be the perfect covenant partner on our behalf where we can't be the perfect covenant partner and live fully in obedience. So we praise the Lord for what Jesus has done for us. And then think of our lives as a response that, that we want to walk in humble dependence and obedience upon the Lord to know His Word and trust that that path of faithfulness, that path of obedience is going to lead us um, to an abundant life that we can't know apart from God and we can't know apart from His Word and walking in faithfulness to Him. So I pray for you and I pray for me. We walk away glorying in Christ and who He is for us, and then also considering how we walk in humility and dependence upon God, how we seek to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, holy and set-apart people, trusting that God's going to provide for us. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. We don't have to rely on our own wisdom or strength. But if we will have faith in God to be faithful to His promise and walk in obedience, trusting that God's going to do great things in and through us, um, it's a position of our hearts where we want to be um, so that the Lord might be pleased to do things in and through us that we know we can't do on our own. I invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you again for your word. Help us to trust your plans and your provision. Help us to not turn to the right or to the left seeking our own good in this world. Um, we thank you for Christ and we acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, that you came and took on flesh and that you were the faithful, obedient covenant partner that we know that we could never be on our own. So help us to glory in the salvation that is ours, to find our hope and our peace and our comfort in who Christ is for us, and then to live our lives as, as obedient sacrifices to you, walking in faithfulness to your word and trusting that you will use us um, for your kingdom purposes in this world. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.